0: Our community group went through a book this last year called The Forgotten God on the Holy Spirit. And a question in that book that Francis Chan asked was, was uh, a theoretical question like that, which was, if you were on a desert island, which is kind of like, you know, everything starts from scratch on a desert island, right? If you were on a desert island and, and you found a Bible and you didn't have any knowledge of, of God before that, and you just started reading through... The Bible. What kind of a, a Christian? What kind of a person would you you be if you read the stories and you saw God in at work in the Old Testament and the New Testament? What would your your theology be? Sorry, Aaron's retooling things, so it's going to be a little crazy for a while. Some voice effects. <laughs> we didn't plan that, but um, so what would you think of God? Oftentimes. Uh, our view of God comes laden with a lot of um, some good, some bad experiences we've had, whether those be at churches or with other people who, who said they knew God and maybe they told us something about him. Some of us have never even read the Bible, but we think we know who God is. And, and we'll give people advice about God and, and we'll share a thought, right? And, and yet, when we come to the Bible, we find ourselves in very foreign territory, So what we're going to do today is we're going to explore a little more into the theology of the Holy Spirit. And one of the old theologians in the 11th century called theology this. He simply said, it's faith seeking understanding. (laughs) So theology isn't isn't a a study of God because we've had this perfect knowledge or we we desire perfect knowledge. But it's simply that, that we're people coming to listen to God, and for those who say they believe in him, it's because they've found a few things that they can hold on to and say, these are true, and I'm holding to these. I know oftentimes Christians are thought of as people who have all the answers, and and yet we don't. Christians are people who have found God to be true, and have come to understand a few things that, that... totally reshapes the way they view the whole world. Um, and so as I pray and we, and we get into um, looking more into the Holy Spirit, I, I hope that that maybe our, our view of God is reshaped a little bit and we're willing to have that happen, that our faith can seek understanding in this way. I realize even as we come into church, um, I'm going to pray for the sermon. This is probably the, the third time we've prayed today. And that's... Again, worldview, right? That's different than the context of your life. <laughs> Oftentimes, I lead meetings. Like I'm the the chair um, person on the citizens advisory board of the juvenile detention center, and every time I, I chair one of those meetings and start it, it's really odd for me because I feel like I should go. Okay, let's pray before the meeting starts. And that'd be really weird uh, in that context, right? But but here, as we come. Uh, on a Sunday morning, our worldview is, the way we see the world, is that, that there is a God who created all this and still speaks into all this. Okay, so that's why we pray, and we're going to do that again before we start. God, in your mercy, I ask that my words can be clear today, that as I speak, I will also be coming to understanding God, even where maybe my thoughts are a little jumbled in my own head and I'm, I'm trying to get them out, I ask that, that you will impress, impress your truth upon the hearts of all those who are here, that we will see you clearly and we'll love you. Praise in Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so for the last two weeks, we've been, in a sense, preparing for the next I think six weeks, as we look at the Holy Spirit. Two weeks ago, I preached a sermon on drawing near to God, and we looked at, at two examples of people that were ready when God came and the people that weren't ready when God came. The people that, that were ready for God were people that expected God. Right? They expected him by three things. We talked about remembrance. Right? Remember what God has done. And that's a powerful thing. It's a powerful thing to share with one another. Right? That when we talk, we're not just talking about what could be or what we hope for, but we're reminding each other that God has been faithful to us. And that can give us context even in the darkest situations. And so the first thing was remembering. The second thing was worship. Right? So we're people that are worshiping God because He is worthy of our praise. Even when you don't feel like worshiping. So when we, when we sing on Sunday mornings, it, sh- it, sh- it shouldn't always be, do I like the way they're playing music? That shouldn't be the question. The question should be, is this true? And if it's true, I celebrate this. How often have I been in prayer meetings and, and I leave, and when I ask people about it, their, their response isn't, it was good to pray together. It was y- either, I don't like the way the format was. That's horrible, right? But I wish we could have organized it a little differently. Right? Worship isn't about that because worship's not about you, right? Worship is successful when you simply see that God is worthy of your praise, and so you praise Him. Right? Stop looking at yourself. That's what's going to help most in worship, right? So we remember Him; He has been faithful. We we worship Him, and we're a people of prayer. All right? And we talked about ways to apply that. We're people that seek the face of God. We seek the face of God long and hard. We're not people who get on our knees once and go, Oh, God didn't show up. All right? Well, you probably didn't even show up. <laughs> so, so when we pray, we're people who see that God is worth it. We see the way he's, He is Acted throughout history that he's creator, he's good, and we seek his face. Right? So that's how we draw near to God. Not because we're worthy of him showing up, but we seek his face by his mercy. Right, That's how we draw near to God. Then the next week, uh, last week with Daniel, um, we had probably a quarter of us here. It was snowy. And, and yet the, the whole theme of last week to catch us up, to bring us all together, was was living a life that could only be explained by God. Living a life that can only be explained by God. So as an individual and as a church, what does that look like? When people see your life, is it simply because you've just planned well or prepared, which are all good things? But when ultimately when God shows up, when we seek the face of God, things are happening that <laughs> that are greater than us, outside of us. And, and I think one of the things that's most powerful when God shows up is that there's a humility among us. <laughs> that's something we usually don't plan for. <laughs> we don't plan for me being out of the way and, and God being glorified. And yet, yet, when God shows up, that's what happens. So we saw how Daniel, his determination to seek God, his obedience, right when it came to following the commands of God, even in a place where, uh, where he had been Abused, taken away from his home, we see him depending upon God, delighting in God. That's how we can be people who live exceptional lives outside of our ordinary experiences. So, what role does the Holy Spirit play in this? Um, often, when we are uh, when we're talking about God, we, we are very familiar with the work of God the Father. We usually associate the work of God the Father with maybe a large event like Mount Sinai, where he comes down and shows up in power and gives the Ten Commandments, right? <laughs> so God the Father, who we pray to our Father who is in heaven. Hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done, right? That, that we're addressing God as Father. And so so that we kind of get, we kind of understand, Jesus, we see him on the cross, right? We see him as Messiah. These are familiar things to us. But oftentimes when we talk about the Holy Spirit, we go, what does the Holy Spirit do? When we baptize people, we say, we baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Because in, in Matthew 28, it says to do that. We can associate what God the Father is doing and what God the Son is doing, but what is the Holy Spirit doing? Well, uh, I'm going to share with you two sort of comical instances that show us why it's maybe the idea of the Holy Spirit's challenging, and uh, and yet helps us helps us be directed in this area. So the first is if you turn with me to. Uh, John three. So John three always makes me laugh a little bit when I read it. It's uh, (laughs) uh, and I don't just say that honestly. I think every single time I've read it, I picture Nicodemus in John three. Trying to figure out, and what's what's funny about this is, uh, maybe I just have an overactive imagination, but I think that's possible. But I I think of Nicodemus. He's this very sincere person. He he is a, a religious leader, and he's he's come to to kind of level with Jesus, right? And so he seeks Jesus out in the middle of the night. They're on a roof talking. This very uh, clandestine event, right where where Nicodemus isn't really sure uh, he wants to be associated with Jesus. It would be very dangerous for that to happen. So he meets him, and he says, uh, John 3, uh, verse 2, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God. No one can perform miraculous signs as you are doing if God were not with you. In verse 3, it says, In reply, Jesus declared, I tell you the truth. No one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. No one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. And this is the, this is the funny part. This is the comical part. Here it he says, uh, Nicodemus, says, how can a man be born when he is old? Surely he cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb to be born, right? And this is this is funny because oftentimes when we're reading, like we're we're like the the serious ones, and we're like, "Good question, Nicodemus. <laughs> You're on the trail, right?" <laughs> but he's like sincerely going. <laughs> Okay, you said be born again, but that would be severely uncomfortable for every party involved in that, right? (laughs) If that was going to happen, right? So what what does this mean? Be be born again. (laughs) And 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 I love this because because he is absolutely sincere. Nicodemus has come to the point of realizing that that Jesus knows something that he doesn't know, right? Faith-seeking understanding. This is a man who, who is a, le- a religious leader among the Jews. And, and he comes and he says, Okay, I'm trying to follow you here. But this doesn't make sense to me. And Jesus replies. And, and his reply isn't terribly helpful. At first. He says, I tell you the truth. No one can enter the kingdom of God unless he is born of water and the Spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but Spirit gives birth to Spirit. So, when he says water and Spirit, he's simply saying the same thing twice. that Flesh gives birth to flesh, but Spirit gives birth to Spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. Right? And so what he's saying here is, he goes, okay, you, remember you were born as a baby. And you guys probably don't really remember that. But because that happened, and just as that happened, and just as much as that was out of your control, right? You didn't maybe you were a reluctant one, There are reluctant babies. But but still you were born. Okay? Just in that same way, you need to be Born of the Spirit, and the way he expresses it, he says, "The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it's going. So it is wherever, for whoever is born of the Spirit." And and the word play here is also hilarious, and you don't get that reading in the English. But the word "wind" and "spirit" same word, pneuma. Okay, so literally, what it says is. The pneuma blows wherever it pleases. In the end it says, so it is with everyone born of the pneuma. Right? That's the Greek word, pneuma. And so, so, so talk about hard to understand. And so Jesus isn't making this terribly easy for him. Right? What does that mean? I have to be born of the Spirit and yet the Spirit comes wherever it pleases. It was like last night I was studying for this, and there was this terrific windstorm going on last night. I, I think it was kind of everywhere throughout this area. And, and you could hear at times it felt like it was just going to rip apart the trees by our house, but then it would like kind of recede, right? And you could hear it kind of, it seemed like building up, and then kind of rushing in atop the trees and like surrounding the house again. Obviously it wasn't all centered on our house, but... But you know, that's what it feels like when when the wind is blowing and you don't know where it's coming from, or and all of a sudden it's present. And, and so that's sort of what it's like with the spirit. And yet, just as much as you didn't have a choice whether you were born physically or not, because it's like that with the spirit. Another another comical um, instance is in. Uh, let me see. Matthew 19. And uh, and it just shows... <laughs> I'd like to say Jesus' humor when, when he is explaining these incredible spiritual truths. He is a man who comes up to him, and, and this man has, is well off. Uh, this man has kind of had everything handed to him in life. And he comes to Jesus because he goes, I realize I've had everything given to me, and yet... Yeah, I feel no closer to being being in the kingdom. And, and so Jesus kind of tells the guy what he already knows, which is, well, uh, obey the commandments. And the guy says, well, I've done these. And he says, well, give up all your possessions. And he realizes that that has been sort of the idol, the God of this person. And, and so the man goes away disappointed. And Jesus says something really interesting. He says, I tell you the truth, it is hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. Okay, there's a challenging thing here, but the challenging thing is sort of remedied, I would say, by a hilarious picture. (laughs) A camel going through the eye of a needle. (laughs) Right? That's funny. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> like Jesus doesn't even make it doable right it's not like it would be as easy as you know a camel walking through a door because then then you in your mind's eye you could kind of picture uh but in my imagination, I can't even see a needle big enough for this, okay, and like I said, I have a fairly good imagination so. So what's going on here? What we're being introduced to is is these impossibilities. So so when we see God who brings the law, God the Father who brings the law, and we we see it in the Old Testament, and it, it either makes us really uncomfortable, or if we try to obey it, it terrifies us, because we go, I can't do that. And then when we see Jesus come, Jesus in his Love and mercy taking our sins upon himself. And yet yet we still go, I can't participate. I don't even know how to participate in that. What will I do with that? Jesus comes in and aids us. He helps us by going, you're right, it's impossible. (laughs) We need the Spirit. And so, so when he gives his disciples, so you got the Gospels, then it comes in the book of Acts, and the disciples of Jesus, Jesus has come, he's risen, he's gone to be with the Father. He gives the disciples the absolutely impossible task of bringing this gospel to the whole world, right? And this is what he tells them. In the book of Acts, we've, uh, we've camped out here a couple times in the last two years. In the book of Acts, this is, this is how it's going to work out. That the gospel will finally make sense to people. Because they have a a big battle ahead of them. The odds are against them. And yet what Jesus tells them in Acts 1, starting in verse 4, it says, On one occasion while he was eating, he gave them this command. He says, Don't leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized you with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So when they met together, they asked, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom of Israel? And he says, it is not for you to know the time or date the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And so, so as you see the, the, everything in the Bible... Right, things that make sense, kind of, things that don't make sense. You see God in power, you see Jesus on the cross, and we're trying to make sense of this. What, what Jesus himself says is, he goes, don't even try to leave Jerusalem. Don't even try to go until you have the Holy Spirit who's going to make this stuff make sense to people. Why? Because the fact is, your heart, my heart, my mind, your mind, the mind of this whole world, is naturally against God. That, that God isn't going to make sense to people. That, that when the disciples, if they just went out and they were like, Jesus is alive. People would say, Well, Jesus, people don't rise from the dead, right? It doesn't make sense, right? And people said, Well, you don't have to live angry anymore. Right? You don't have to have relationships that are broken anymore. Those can be healed. God's, God's interested in healing you. And He sent His Son to tell you that. That, that. Even that message, even though it's good, and we don't want broken relationships anymore, that message isn't going to make sense. And, and people will be not just, it just won't make, not make sense, but people will be actually against that message. And, and I think you know this because you've had this experience in your own heart where you hear the Bible spoken about. You hear the word of God and your heart is repulsed by it. So what changes that? Well, it doesn't. It doesn't change you having a better argument for somebody. Well, let me let me figure this one out. Maybe I'll be able to convince you. Jesus says, "Don't even go. Go down, don't even try to bring this message anywhere until the Holy Spirit comes, because the Holy Spirit will be convincing hearts." Um, that that's a lot. And so, what I'm going to do is we're going to jump into Acts 16, and I'm going to show you what this looks like. <laughs> Uh, through four different stories, and so this is when you really need your Bible, okay? Because if you don't have your Bible, you're going to get lost in this, okay? So, Acts 16, turn there with me. Kristen, what's the page number for that Bible? 771. 771. If you got the green Bible. <laughs> So there's three things we're going to be answering for ourselves here. The first is, how do we identify the work of the Holy Spirit? How do we understand salvation in our own lives? And how do we seek salvation for other people? And I think all those things will be answered as we we look at these these stories. So Acts 16, starting in verse 6. It says this, it says, Paul and his companions traveled throughout the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching the word in the province of Asia. When they came to the border of Mysia, they tried to enter Bithynia, but the spirit of Jesus would not allow them to. So they passed Mysia and went down to Troas. During the night, Paul had a vision of a man of Macedonia standing and begging him, come over to Macedonia and help us. After Paul had seen the vision, we got ready at once to leave for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. So, so point number one is that when the Spirit of God shows up, plans change. When the Spirit of God shows up, plans change. So, so we're going to have all these with the letter P so you can remember them because I expect you to be able to memorize these, Okay plan right when the spirit of god shows up plans change and what i mean by this is regardless of how good your idea is how good your plan is when the spirit of god shows up in your life your plan will change in such a way that your priorities will change the direction will change for For Paul, what this looked like is his plan sounded really good, right? We're going to take the gospel into Asia. That was a good plan. And yet, yet the Holy Spirit started doing something in him where he started shutting doors. And I don't know if if in your life you've ever had this happen. You've had a really great idea and it seemed really uh, fine. And all of a sudden, the opportunity just closed, I've shared with you guys my my experience in moving down to Colorado to start school there. Um, I got a job, <laughs> I had a place to stay. Where I was going down there to study theology. <laughs> Everything seemed a go, and yet God by His Spirit said, "Come back to Bremerton." <laughs> and so I came. And and so Paul's experience is is all of a sudden whether his plan was good, he didn't know what was what was ahead. When the Holy Spirit comes, things take a different shape. And we don't immediately know why. But we discover why in this story really soon. And and this is absolutely beautiful. Because we we see the whole plan of Paul being changed by the Holy Spirit because... The Holy Spirit is already stirring hearts somewhere else. Okay? So if you follow from verse 11, it says, From Troas we put out to sea and sailed through Semothras. I'm glad we have simpler names these days, at least in in our region of the world. And next day to Neapolis. From there we went to Philippi in a Roman colony. Uh, and the leading city of the district was Macedonia, and we stayed there several days. On the Sabbath, we went outside the city gate to to the river where we expected to find a place to pray. And the reason why they went outside to find a place to pray is because in Philippi, they had this sign above the gate that said, no foreign religion, right? So they had a religion of the city, and no one could talk about any religion or... or, uh, conduct services of any other religion in the city of Philippi. So so that's why they went outside the city gate to pray. It says, and we sat down and began to speak to the women who had gathered there. One of those listening was a woman named Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth from the city of Thyatira, who was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. And when she and the members of her household were baptized, she invited them to her home if you consider me a believer in the Lord she said come and stay at my house and she persuaded them. So second P is not purple even though that's in the text. The second P is is prayer. And what I love about this story is is when Paul's path was was in his plan was redirected he didn't know why. And yet and yet, as his whole itinerary changes, and he finds himself in Macedonia or in the city of Philippi. Rather than going on to Asia, all of a sudden he comes in this city and, and happens upon this group of women who are outside praying who worship God, but they don't know anything about Jesus. And so these women are praying right that their faith would seek under, would see understanding they would they would grow in their understanding of the true god and so so paul his his journey changes comes to philippi and what happens he finds people praying there so what do we get from this the powerful thing is that that when the Holy Spirit is changing us, changing our plans, changing our heart, changing the direction of our lives, God is also preparing the way for us. Okay? So as God's changing our plan, he's also preparing the way. So what do we see in the, the prayer of these people? Well, the prayer is mighty because Paul didn't know why he was coming to Philippi. He didn't know that people were praying there, and yet, yet things in this in this way bigger story than Paul ever knew, that Lydia ever knew, that God was changing things, that the Holy Spirit was blowing right wherever Paul was, far away from the, the city of Philippi. The Holy Spirit was was gaining momentum there in the life of Paul, and and changing his plans, and so he intersected with the life of Lydia and this group of women who were praying outside a, a vague city in Macedonia. Right? So where plans are changing, God is also preparing a way. Right? And the beautiful thing about this is that it says God opened her heart to respond to the word. And, and that's exactly my prayer as... I preach that God will open your heart to hear it. Because, because, because when this intersection happens, where, where your life, maybe your life intersects with this church, your life intersects with someone else's life. Maybe your plans change. Oh, I didn't, I never intended to be in Bremerton. Think of you guys in the Navy, right? (laughs) You traveled the world, but, you're in Bremerton, right? <laughs> so, think of your story. Your story. How many of you go, <laughs> looking at your life, go, oh yeah. February 2014, Bremerton, I, that was my plan. <laughs> No, it wasn't. You don't lie to me. You have different plans. Right? Some of you are even like, why am I even here today? Right? You didn't want to be here. Maybe you still don't want to be here. I don't know. But the fact is, your plan isn't supreme. Praise God. Okay? And and I was reading this awesome article. This week, and they said that no act of salvation, this was J.C. Ryle writing from the 1800s, and he says, no act of salvation has ever come without prayer. Either the person praying for themselves, seeking the face of God, or someone praying for them. And I, I was looking through the Bible, and I was like, that's probably true, right? Because, I mean, even think of, think of Peter, right? Peter, who denied Jesus three times, but, but, but even when he was denying Jesus, Jesus had told him, I have prayed for you, I have asked God for you, that after you've denied me, that you will be restored, and you will strengthen the church. <laughs> even Peter had Jesus praying for him, right? And so, so, this, so your plan, even though you think your life is in the palm of your hand, and you look back, and if you're honest, you would say, okay, it's not, right? <laughs> Why are you here? Why do you exist? I hope at some point because you realize that that, that your plan isn't supreme and that, that by the grace of God, God will be changing the course, changing the trajectory of your life. And so you intersect with someone who will speak the word of God to you and your heart will be opened and you will receive it. So prayer is powerful. Pray for yourself. Pray for others. And, and this is a, a great... Um, great reason for us who uh, don't know how to, to seek health for ourselves. Uh, maybe we're in a stage of dryness in our own faith. Or maybe there's someone in our lives that we don't know how to talk to and we really want to tell them about Jesus. Um, and we feel like it's all up to us. And, and yet what this is telling us is it's not. Right? You might have someone who's so reluctant. Right? Who's still right? Like it says, the rich man. It's harder to to come to the kingdom. Other than it's just as hard as a camel going through the eye of a needle. Why? Because we have because we have a lot. We can plan when we have wealth, right? We can sort of steer our own lives. We can go where we want to, right? We can be our own boss. And yet, yet that's that's not true. <laughs> And it's hard. So how are you going to break through that hardness? Well, let me tell you, it's not, it's not going to be because you say the right word. But it's because you pray for him. So, Lydia, God opened her heart. She was praying, God opened her heart to come to faith. Starting in verse 16, God had bigger plans in Philippi than just Lydia. It says once they were going to the place to pray, so they were heading out of town again. It says we're uh, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. She earned a great deal of money for her owners. This girl followed Paul and the rest of us, shouting, "These men are servants of the Most High God, who are telling you the way to be saved." Right? And there's not, this isn't always good publicity, right? You have this girl just following them, like, and so eventually it gets, it gets fairly annoying, you could imagine. So she kept this up for days, and Paul became so troubled that he turned around and said to the Spirit, in the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. And at that moment, the Spirit left her. At that moment, the Spirit left her. Um, the third P is this. So we have, we have plan, we have prayer, and then we have purity. We have Purity. How do I see purity in this? Well, I see see purity in this way. You have a slave girl who who has no influence or position like Lydia. Lydia, I believe, is kind of like that rich person. Lydia had wealth. She was a merchant of purple cloth. Um, And yet this girl, this little girl, all she could do when she heard about God, all she could do was mock All she can do is make fun of them. And perhaps you've been there, perhaps you are there, perhaps you know someone there, where anytime the name of God is mentioned, they don't even need to mock. It doesn't benefit you. It doesn't benefit them in any way. It's just they mock. And yet that is the case, whether it is It is annoying mocking like this, or just subtle mocking. This is the case, it says in Romans 8, it says that the sinful mind is hostile to God. And yet the the challenge here is that, that what do we call the Spirit of God? We call him the Holy Spirit, right? The Holy Spirit. Which means that that the Spirit himself will not dwell, will not coincide with unrighteousness in your life. Right? Right? And so when we've set ourselves against God, and we're like, well, I've made myself available to him, but he doesn't really want to show up, right? (laughs) This is that that you, in setting yourself against God, you've set yourself absolutely as adversaries of God himself, where where the Holy Spirit won't abide with you unless there is purity in your heart. But how would that purity come? I I just pulled out some verses, and, and... and this is a serious issue. It says in, in Hebrews 12, it says, without holiness no one will see the Lord. In Matthew 5, it says, only the pure in heart will see God. And 1 Corinthians says, the person without the Spirit does not accept things from the Spirit of God. They are foolish to him, and he cannot understand them because they are only spiritually discerned. So how do we how do we get past this conflict? Right? where, where the Spirit of God is holy and, and we've set ourselves against him. Well, God himself has to come, and by his grace, make a place in our lives for him. Okay? Because okay, it's not something that you can do by your own own doing. In the book of Titus, it says this, and if you don't have to turn there, just, just listen. It says, At one time we were foolish... One time we just mocked God. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. Listen to this. It says, But when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, he saved us not because of our righteousness, but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing and rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit. So how did he save us? He saved us by the washing and renewal of, of the Holy Spirit, so the Spirit Himself comes in, and literally, so so track with me here. So your plans were your own plans. You decided to do something else. God said, "No, that's not your plan. I'm going to bring you here, right? Maybe because somebody's praying for you, and you come, and yet your heart, or the heart of that person you love, is still set against God. What will happen?" Because when our hearts are set against God, and we don't, we don't love him, we don't want him, he is foolish to us. His Holy Spirit is repulsive to us. What happens? Well, by, it says, by his, in, in Titus, it says, by his, the kindness and love of God, the Savior appeared and saved us, not because, not because we said, okay, I'm ready, but because the Holy Spirit himself is giving us new birth. Right? Is restoring us, regenerating us. And and this this is your only hope. Okay? Because your hope is not in your plan. Right? Your your hope, if you pray for yourself, your hope is in God's mercy that will come and by his spirit make you new. Right? Give you new birth. And what happens is fantastic. What happens is this. He makes you a new person. Okay, so Acts 16. We're going to finish with one last story, the story of the Philippian jailer. So I'm going to catch you up to speed here. You have Paul and Silas. The little girl gets freed. Purity is in her heart, right? She's, She's able to live free from bondage. And, and what happens as a result of this, obviously, because no one can preach about another God in this city, is that Paul and Silas get put in jail. And while they're in jail, what they do is they start singing, right? These are kind of weird guys. Um, they don't mind being in jail. They start, they start singing and praying. And it says, In the middle of the night, Suddenly, verse 26, there was a violent earthquake and the foundations of the prison shook and at once all the prison doors flew open and everybody's chains came loose. The jailer woke up and when he saw the prison doors open he drew his sword and was about to kill himself. And Paul shouted, don't harm yourself, we are all here. (laughs) So this is quite a scenario, right? All these people are in jail, doors go open, they don't leave. Why? Why? because Because again, get this, even stubborn prisoners, something's happening in their heart, and you can't just say, "Oh, they just decided not to escape." no no, something else is going on here and and for you who have or or maybe still mock God, there are these scenarios and and some of you were there where where you were that person and all of a sudden you see something happening in your heart. You had the opportunity to do something and you're like, I could have stolen but I didn't steal. I could, have, I could have got angry and I didn't get angry because you see God doing this work in your heart. And that's what happened to these men who were in prison. All of a sudden they had the opportunity to be free but they didn't go free. Because God even had another work which is <laughs> this jailer is going to take his own life. And Paul says, no, we're all here. The man comes and this, the most beautiful thing happens. Just as he, he comes in, trembling, he falls at their, their feet. And he says, verse 30, he then brought them out and he said, Sirs, what can I do to be saved? Okay. Rewind a couple months. Paul has his heart set on Asia. That's where he wants to go. And yet God, for no reason in particular, and Paul's mind goes, no, don't go to Asia. And Paul's like, people need the gospel there. And God says, no, you're not going there. He reroutes his plan. So what happens? So when the Holy Spirit shows up, things are changing. He comes find people who are praying, seeking the face of God. God is stirring in hearts already, and he's bringing purity to people. Right? And he's creating new persons in them. This man who was a hardened jailer, right? A man's man, a dude, right? And all of a sudden, he goes from a man who doesn't care about these men who are beaten to all of a sudden begging from them to know, what can I do to be saved? So, so where do we identify the Holy Spirit? You see God who gives the law. You see God who is mighty and powerful. You see Jesus who offers his life on the cross. Okay, track with me. This is, this is the simple setting we have. And we go, but how will anyone receive that message? For you who, who in your life have said, I believe, what did that look like for you? Because there was... There was mockery in your own heart. You had set yourself against God. And and perhaps some of you, even who say, I believe, you're still wrestling with, what does it mean to be saved? And that work, friends, that that work is a work of the Holy Spirit. He was taking people who who were adversaries I want to read something that puts it very simply. It says, Before a man is born of the Spirit, there seems to be no particular loveliness in the person of Jesus. But after that change has taken place, Jesus seems to be more important than anything else. There is no honor so great, but that Jesus is worthy of it. Before the new birth, a man can bow with the name of Christ. He can come. He can take off his hat while we're praying. He can do all those things. And he even sometimes wonders at Christ's miracles, but that is it. So even if, even if you come in and you, you're willing to listen, even if you're willing to say, well, Jesus was a good teacher, it will remain there, but it says once he is born again, once a person is born again, and they see the fullness and completeness and sufficiency of Christ." He feels like, or she feels like, you can never think about Jesus enough. There is a change that happens in the heart of a person who finally sees God and is willing not just to, to honor Him on a Sunday, but all of a sudden your plans are changing, your world is shaping. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. And if you haven't experienced that, I, I hope that someone in your life is praying for that. Because I know that, that both to hear the message, um, that there is something in between a person hearing the message and receiving it. And the only hope is the new birth by the Holy Spirit. And so, so how does this help us? Are three things. How do we identify the work of the Spirit? We identify the work of the Spirit when Jesus, the words of Jesus are loved and accepted. How will you understand your own salvation better? You'll understand your own salvation better because you will realize that it's not you alone, but it's him working in you, right? And that that even as you grow in it, and we'll talk about growth in the faith faith next week, it's not up to you, (laughs) But it's the Holy Spirit doing these works in you, and how does help you seek the salvation of others? This is how it helps you seek the salvation of others: is that that you you will pray for them. Um, I, I so I admit that there's there's a real like desperateness in my heart. Anytime I preach, there is I I come up and I'm like God, um, I want to I want to say words that are true and that people understand, and I hope you understand this, is that, that without the Holy Spirit, there's no glorification of Jesus. <laughs> Even if we come every week and we hear about Jesus, <laughs> and we're like, okay, I like it enough to come next week, there's, there's a, an absolute transformation that happens in the person when, when, when the words of Jesus are something that they love and pursue with their whole being. And so I I ask of you, if you are not someone, when the name of Jesus is spoken, that you go, <laughs> there is no sweeter name. Because at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue confess someday that he is Lord, that the whole whole world was created through him. If you're not in that place, I ask you to seek his face. To be a Lydia who, it says Believed in God and yet prayed. And because of her prayers, Paul came. And when Paul came, her heart was opened to hear about God. Right? Because God alone can can open the closed heart to hear and receive. We're not left to our own ingenuity. We're not left to our own smarts. Because you're not smart enough for this stuff. And I'm not smart enough for this stuff. But by the grace of God, I pray, by the Holy Spirit, that our hearts will be changed. That we can love him more than we love ourselves even. (laughs) That would be a grace. And that we will love him enough to say, yes, change my plans, change my life. Because it changes everything. Let's pray and we'll worship. God, I <laughs> I do ask, like Lydia, that you'll just, whether it's the words of the sermon or the words of the songs, that that we will hear your name and we will celebrate you. That's not just a Sunday morning thing we know. I <laughs> know that when we go and we eat food together after this or when we, we hang out later, we go for a walk or... A run or play games together. We go to our, our work and all those things that that when you change our lives, it changes everything. It changes the way we work, changes the way we live, changes the way we spend our money. God, so by your grace, I pray that you will transform us again to see you and love you. Praise in Jesus' name, amen.